Thank you very much, Karen. In light of the message of that song, can you think of a time or two or three or dozens, maybe, where you were not as responsive to God as you should have been, and in grace, he reached out to you and drew you back to himself. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace expressed so very, very clearly in Christ. And we know if something is of grace, it's not deserved. And we can do nothing to obtain it. It comes as a result of your favor. We know that Christ came as a result of your grace. And as we look at a portion of Mark's gospel this morning, we want to be sensitive to Christ and who he is and live in light of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing in the present. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. A couple of thought questions. I'm not looking for a response. What does your demand for a smartphone or TV program show about your heart? What does your frustration over a slow driver when you are late show about your heart? Who are some of the most dangerous people on earth today? What group of people on earth today will be punished most severely? Ponder these questions as we consider Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 40. The events of Mark chapter 11 through chapter 12 and verse 44 are taking place in the temple or the temple courts. Jesus is ministering. All the events are taking place in a given day. We know that in the context, Jesus has silenced <clears throat> some people, and now he is posing some questions. Mark 12 and verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, how is it that the teachers of the law say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. The eyes of Jesus' enemies have become very sharp because of their malice against Christ. And they try to corner him. In verses 13 through 17, they came to him and asked, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus silenced them by holding up a coin and saying, whose image is on this? And they had to say, Caesar's. Well, pay to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. Then the Sadducees came along with a question about the resurrection 
And Jesus said, you don't understand that God is the God of the living, not of the dead. And then one of the teachers of the law came along and said, uh, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, you know, with your total being. And then in verse 34, it says at the end, and from then on, no one dared ask him more questions. When we come to the end of the religious establishment's questions, we find that Jesus goes on the attack, if you please. He has some questions that he is going to pose and that he is going to ask. And keep in mind that as he is posing questions, he's asking the teachers of the law. How is it that the teachers of the law say and so on? So he's posing a question. And we need to understand some things about the scribes, the teachers of the law. They would wear robes that were white. And you could always recognize a scribe because they had a white robe with a long white fringe on the bottom. And it made them stand out among the common people because the common people often wore bright colors. They were the power dressers. They were the ecclesiastical swans living among the common people. Jeremiah, a great New Testament scholar, says in his book, Jerusalem in the Time of Jesus, that all people rose respectfully when a scribe passed by and that only tradesmen busy at their work were exempt. The scribes were greeted with terms such as rabbi, master, or father. When the wealthy gave feasts, they wanted to invite the scribes, the teachers of the law. And many times at the feast, they would recline at a place of honor at the right or left of the host. The scribes were honored above the aged, even one's own parents. When they came to the synagogue, they would sit in front in a place of what they called honor. It's these pious people that Jesus asked a question. Jesus in the temple courts, in the location of religious people, in the location of quote-unquote religion, he poses a question. He asked many questions along the way. God asked many questions along the way. And his question is, how is it that the teachers of the law say that Christ is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord is my Lord, set up my right hand until I put my enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Now notice, Jesus asks two questions. How is it that the teachers of the law say to, that the Christ is the son of David? The teachers of the law would teach that Christ is the son of David. Before he asks the second question, he quotes from Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, set up my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. 
David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? If David calls Christ Lord, how can Christ be David's son? You teach us the law. Christ is David's son. But yet David calls Christ Lord, so how can he be David's son? How can the Messiah, how can Jesus be both David's son and David's Lord if he is merely human? Given the Davidic understanding of the Messiah and the scribe's admission that Psalm 110 is referring to Christ, they could think of no answer. Jesus is using scriptures in essence, he's backing people into the corner. It would take a divine human being to fulfill the scriptural requirements for the Messiah. Now, let's go back to Psalm 110 and just get a little context of what is taking place. Psalm 110. <clears throat> We'll read the entire psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, set up my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, anytime you see in the Bible, Lord in caps, we're talking about Jehovah, Yahweh. So Jehovah says to my Lord, and the Lord there is Adonai, or master. The Lord says to my Lord, Set up my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Jehovah is saying to my Lord, David says, Jehovah is saying to my, David's Lord, it would be a reference to Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So if Jesus is David's son, but David calls him Lord, how do you put that together? Verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn until the dew of youth, your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now, this psalm appears in the book of Psalms. Psalms is divided into five books. This is in book five, which deals with celebration. Lord, Jehovah, in book five of Psalms is used 250 or 236 times, whereas Elohim or God appears seven times. The emphasis is on Jehovah, the creator, independent, self-existing one. And that's what Lord means. The independent, self-existing one is speaking. 
He needs no one or no thing to continue his existence. And in verse 1, the Lord gives a promise. Jehovah, Lord, says to my Lord. David says, Jehovah is speaking to my Lord. Who is David's Lord? Christ. So what does Jehovah say to Christ? Sit at my right hand until your enemies are made a footstool for your feet. Jehovah, speaking to Christ, Adonai, Master, sit at my right hand until your enemies, the scribes, if you please, are made your footstool. Then he gives the victory in verses 2 through 2 and 3. The Lord will expand, extend your mighty scepter. From Zion, you will rule in the midst of your enemies. It's what's going to happen for Christ? In verse 4, we find another promise. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then we find victory in verses 5 through 7. Christ will have his enemies made his footstool. He's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Keep in mind that Jesus is claiming to be Lord. He's quoting from Psalm 110, attributing it to himself. Jesus will experience the victory. Jesus confronted the scribes with their self-proclaimed superior knowledge of scripture and says you don't have it all together you need to understand that I'm not a human messiah but a divine messiah Psalm 110 is a messianic psalm talking about Christ so back in Mark chapter 12 when David asked, or I'm sorry, when Jesus asked the question, how is it that teachers of the law say that Christ is the son of David? How can they say that if David says, Christ is my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet? David himself calls him Lord. So the scribes would say, you have God, you have David, and you have Christ. Now Christ says, whoa, let's stop here. We have God, we have Christ, we have David, and we have Christ. Because Christ is Lord over David. David says that in Psalm 1 and verse 1. But at the same time, we know that David, or Christ came through the line of David. So what do we have? We have a divine Messiah and a human Messiah. And Jesus basically has a focus here on himself. How can you teachers say what you do about Christ being the son of David how then can David call him Lord? Christ, in this passage, is claiming equality with God. 
Kent Hughes says in his commentary on Mark, and I quote, Jesus implicitly assaulted the scribes where it hurt most, their self-proclaimed superiority on the scriptures. Obviously, they had never faced the messianic implications of Psalm 110. Why? They were dominated with political, nationalistic dreams of a human deliverance, an earthly kingdom. Their earthly dreams made them gloss right over the obvious spiritual meaning of the scriptures. They vainly expounded, end of quote. Now think about this passage that Mark is probably writing to the Roman believers. The Roman believers are being persecuted. Some of them would like Nero's garden. They would have property confiscated. They're going under, undergoing persecution. They hear this passage and they think, ah, oh, this Christ, he's Lord. He's owner. He's master. And these people that are persecuting us, the enemies of Christ, are going to be made Christ footstool. Tremendous encouragement. But it hinges on understanding Christ and who he is. Now let me pose a question in light of the passage. Will you stand up for Christ today even if it means rejection from other people because you're convinced that Jesus Christ is David's Lord? At the very core of Christianity, at the very core of the message of Christ is who he is. He's fully human, but he's fully God. He's David's son, yes, but he's David's Lord. Have you acknowledged him as Lord? Is Christ your Lord? Have you come to faith in him? Or are you living in surrender to him? As Jesus is teaching, the text of Scripture says, the large crowd listened to him with delight. No, he's kind of backed him into a corner with who he is. The text goes on in verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. In this final episode of Jesus' public ministry, He says some very strong things about the teachers of the law. Very strong. He says, watch out for them. Now, here's David's Lord who says, watch out. Take heed, discern, perceive. Watch out for who? The teachers of the law. Here's Jesus, David's Lord, saying, look out for the teachers of the law. Look out for the religious teachers, if you please. Why? He said, these teachers of the law like to walk around in flowing robes. Oh, there goes a teacher. How do I know? 
This is a white flowing robe. Like to be greeted in the marketplaces. Oh, Father, Master. They liked having the most important seats in the synagogue. And according to what you can find, they would sit in front of the Torah facing the people. That was an, an important seat. They liked having the places of honor at banquets. So, someone would have a banquet. The scribes wanted to be present. The teachers of the law wanted to be present. And they wanted to sit on the right or left-hand side of the host. They would devour widows' houses. The teachers of the law were forbidden to take money, but people could support them you know, by their choice. And it was considered a merit work to support a teacher of the law. So what would widows do? As they did in that day, they do today. They give to religious leaders. Jesus says another thing about them. For a show, they make lengthy prayers. Oh, look how long teacher so-and-so prayed. It was 15 minutes. Wow. Must really be spiritual. Teacher Yeager prayed 20 minutes. Wow. And Teacher Al prayed 25 minutes. I got a nap even. Notice what the text then says. Such men will be punished most severely. most severely involves an abundance of punishment. We're talking about teachers of the law. We're talking about religious leaders, religious teachers. There's going to be an abundance of punishment. The punishment involves a judicial sentence and an adverse sentence. They're, estimate, or they're weighed and they're found wanting. Therefore, justice is going to be done. Stop and think. Here's the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Jesus says they're going to be punished most severely. Probably some of the most dangerous people in the world today are religious teachers as it was in the day of Jesus. These are not thieves that he's talking about. These are not murderers that he's talking about. They're not drug addicts that he's talking about. They're not immoral people. He's talking about religious leaders and teachers. He says they'll be punished most severely. Now, in light of Christ and who he is and what he says here, just a thought. From my limited 
view, it seems we today get so excited about ministry programs, about books, about concerts, about speakers, but not about Jesus. He is Lord. He is the Messiah. He is our life. What turns us on shows what we love. What turns you on? Now, please understand, in no way am I belittling music when I say what I'm going to say. We will pay $25, $30 to go to a concert. And we'll get into the swing of things at a concert. Are you willing to pay $30 to go listen to someone preach for an hour? Let's make it two hours. And then pay another $30 to go listen to someone pray or a group of people pray for a couple hours. I'm not belittling music. That's not my point. I'm just asking, do we get excited about Jesus? He is the Lord. Some questions. Is there a need for all the musicians who promote themselves and their products? Why do all the speakers, preachers, who want to be in radio, TV, etc., just asking why? I'm not picking the musicians, I'm not picking preachers, I'm just asking in general. He's talking about the religious leaders in Mark chapter 12. We offer so much to religious people in the U.S. via books, music, seminars, conferences, etc. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I would ask a question. Would we be better off if we made certain in the midst of all this other stuff that parents are training their children, that local pastors are teaching their people, that local older men are teaching younger men Local older women are teaching younger women. Not knocking this other, I'm just posing a question. Are we confident that what God clearly says is in place because we're concerned about what? Christ says. Skip over a few things here and go to another item. Some applications. Use questions as you teach to help people see their heart. Just use questions. As a parent, use questions. JT, this is dad asking JT a question. JT, why are you so concerned about fitting in with your peers? What's going on in your heart? It's a good question because you're going to the heart. Jesus goes to the heart in his questions. 
How about a husband and a wife using questions to go to the heart? So they ask themselves, what does our desire for more money show about our heart? Oh, we just don't have enough. We need a little bit more. What's that show us about our heart? How about a pastor? Am I leading to help people know Christ or to have a larger church? So I ask myself, why am I leading Roaring Brook? To have a bigger church or to help you know Christ? So that's a legitimate question for a pastor because there's all kinds of seminars and books and programs for how to build a big church. Or how about Sunday school, Awana, and teens? Are you here because you love God or because you have to be here? And where's your heart? Just the whole idea of questions. Please stop to understand Jesus and his character, his being, his identity. He is Lord. And this Lord says the religious teachers of his day are going to be punished most severely. So go back to the questions I posed at the beginning of my sharing. What does your demand for a smartphone or TV program show about your heart? You say, what's that have to do with what you're preaching on? The same thing, the questions that Jesus asked about the teachers of the law. He's going to their heart. What does your Frustration over a slow driver when you are late show about your heart. Jesus is trying to get to the heart. And I'm just trying to get to the heart with those questions. Who are some of the most dangerous people on earth today? I would venture to say religious teachers. As in Jesus' day, so it is today. What group of people on earth today would be punished most severely? I think as you read through Scripture, the answer again would be religious teachers. Some hard things to swallow. But remember, Christ, the owner, the master, is the one who is speaking. And we need to yield to him, love him, and follow him because of who he is. So my final question, what thinking, what belief, what attitude must you put off in light of Mark 12? 35 through 40. What thinking, what belief, what attitude must you put on in light of Mark 12, 35 through 40? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you reveal about Christ through the gospel of Mark. 
May we grasp that the seed we sow, as we discussed last week, is basically Christ. He is the Messiah. He is God. He is Lord. And may we be mindful of that in our own lives as we live, as we respond to daily life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.